welcome to the Real Time Podcast, all about doing content differently. I'm your host Fiona and today on the show I've got positive psychology coach Lucy Alton joining me in conversation. Me and Lucy have a chat about podcasting, toxic positivity and her brilliant work, plus why she doesn't have a blog. It's a cracking episode, so let's get started. So how did you end up as a self-sabotage coach? Which I, I love, by the way, because that's such a... Have we, started the, have we started the podcast, by the way? Oh, we've totally started. I do this to everyone. <laughs> I ease you in gently with conversation and trick you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just checking. Um, yeah, no. So how did, yeah, how did I become a self-sabotage coach? Well, it was linked to my previous career change. So I've started out after uni having done history and not really quite sure what I wanted to do. I worked in advertising and marketing for five years, which was amazing and full of talented and incredibly uh, insightful and fun individuals. But I knew that it wasn't for me. I knew that it didn't have the purpose. Well, I didn't really know that it was the purpose I was lacking, but suddenly I realized that that was what it was when um, someone I used to work with said, you should be thinking about your client's problems whilst you're showering. And I was like, uh, literally never would do that about advertising and marketing problems. Um, so I, and I kind of hit upon speech and language therapy and retrained as a speech and language therapist, realized what it was like to have purpose and actually had a lecture on flow in the uh, course of, of my program. And it was like a lightning bolt. I was just like, flow this is what I've got now because I've got a purpose I can see that I'm helping people I can see that it's like a human dimension I'm not just making money for um you know an invisible corporation and I just absolutely loved it because I was also finding it fascinating the psychology side and the communication side and I, I did that career both in I started doing cl- more clinical practice but then I moved quite quickly into research and loved it and it fitted in really well around having a young family but then when I had my third uh, son I've got boy girl boy my third child I suddenly lost the kind of passion for my PhD project and that really doesn't work when you're doing research and instead I got this huge urge to do something connected to psychology or human behavior and thought and I started looking into different ways of doing that I looked at hypnotherapy and I looked at coaching and I spent some time doing and training to be a psychological trainer with a proprietary program in the UK which I really enjoyed and it got me into the zone of of coaching and of that whole different world and it felt like such a great way to mix those um, that kind of excitement and purpose I'd got from this human dimension of speech and language therapy with something where I could kind of put my own stamp on it. I could create my own business and my own uh, working life. And from there, I, I took off about three years ago on my own and decided I really wanted to focus on getting women out of self-sabotage and particularly women with strong sense of purpose, with that strong desire to make a difference in the world, which I think is something that probably resonates with you and your podcast as well. Um, And recognizing that so many women with those amazing talents and that amazing drive were being absolutely awful to themselves. And I could use a lot of the psychological training I've been honing to create fantastic outcomes for them. And yeah and then actually it was my business coach Jen Hall who I, I think you might be aware of she's brilliant she uh, oh you actually I'm she's your client she's my client that's why I'm laughing <laughs> your client. I was like I know that you're connected to Jen in some way oh hang on that's it she's your client she was amazing and she really helped me hone in on the self-sabotage coach piece and the anti-self-sabotage coach as I sometimes call myself and it just felt like everything then made sense I could hang things off that a lot of what I love to talk about is actually the opposite of self-sabotage it's self-kindness it's fighting against imposter syndrome it's my love of positive psychology specifically which I haven't really mentioned but that's where I got so engaged with the world of positive psychology and the incredible results that and get you know using those tools and and um that research that backs backs up those tools to create these fantastic outcomes uh, that's where that came from so yeah Jen really helped me with that niche and that idea and it's just grown from there really and as soon as I had that mantle it, both 
I think to the outside world, it became clearer what I was about and who I was, but it massively clarified things for me and gave me a real kind of why about everything that I'm doing. I feel like that was a bit of a ramble, Fiona. <laughs> I think that, no, I think that's amazing. And I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how much you, you bring in sort of your psychology and speech and language and the, the language around what women use about themselves into your work now, because you must have to unravel a hell of a lot of centuries of language that women put have been put upon women over the years. And yeah, I'm just wondering about that. How, how do you unravel that, that, the, that historic language? Yeah, that's a really good question. And language incorporates so much, but it's something that I think about a great deal with my clients. And I always have this moment when I'm talking to a client for the first time on that first call or that first discovery session that we have and they give so many clues away with their language so they might be using a very apologetic way of talking about themselves they might be being really negative about their achievements or really dismissive of their achievements it might be self-deprecating which is something I'm going to dig into in one of my podcasts to come because I want to talk about self-deprecation I think it's it's a really interesting um and very self-sabotaging way of being sometimes. You know, British people are very guilty of that, myself included. Um, so yeah, the language element is often really, really telling. And absolutely, as you said, so much of that is ingrained. So much of it is cultural and we are almost apologising for our existence. And then when we hit a certain age or we kind of consume some content or we read a book and it challenges that all of that language, we didn't have to be doing that to ourselves at all. We didn't have to be apologizing. We didn't have to be asking for permission. We didn't have to be being so negative or hard on ourselves. And actually we could approach ourselves with compassion, self-compassion, self-kindness. And actually that self-belief that comes from that positive self-talk with that dialogue we have with ourselves, when we switch around the language that is part of that inner monologue, amazing transformations happen do you think that do, i say i'm curious about this sorry i, I realized this wasn't on the questions i sent you because i'm genuinely curious about this is do you think that there's a particular age that no, women fine. that women reach where they suddenly realize that actually they don't want to give a shit anymore they don't want to have to deal with this like when you're younger you don't necessarily notice that you're not getting the same opportunities as the guys in the office in the workplace but once you enter that leadership space or you become a founder you you know you start to realize how much it's held you back is there an age that women reach where this you know becomes noticeable I think that would make an absolutely fantastic research project and obviously my data is only very anecdotal and I have an age profile of the clients that I work with they tend to be 35 plus, 40 plus, uh, sometimes older than that as well. And those, they, they are, they're at that point where they have made that line in the sand. They're not there yet. And they need to have a bit of assistance in, in unpicking those stories and unpicking that narrative that they've been given by society. But yeah, I think there's definitely an age where a lot of women start to, you know, the, the blinkers come off, but I don't think it's all women. I think often, people can keep drifting on and not really questioning and instead giving themselves a hard time rather than looking outwardly at why am I being like this? Why am I calling myself these names? Why am I being so critical? What is the conditioning that's underneath that? So yeah, I definitely think there's a shift coming. I hope that it's getting younger and younger and maybe we'll have a generation that doesn't need to undo a lot of this negative learning in their 30s, late 30s, 40s, 50s. They'll do it earlier. But I I don't know, maybe it is something where it, it really has to be that process. I know when I was really young, when I was a teenager and I went off to university, I went to a really prestigious university initially and I looked around me and I remember it was like a, a really seminal moment in my life. I remember thinking, 
meritocracy is a total sham. You know, actually, there's these people who are here due to their privilege alone. And some of the questions that I was getting asked as an undergrad, you know, like, how big is your house? And what was the name of the school that you went to? I didn't really understand. I was like, really confused by these questions. Like, well, you won't know the name of my school. And then I realized, oh, it's a kind of a secret club. There's like a lot of um, privilege, male privilege, um, economic, socioeconomic privilege. And when I realized that that meritocracy wasn't a thing, it wasn't, you know, a true, a truism as I'd been taught it to be in my kind of empowered, I suppose, secondary education, um, it was really shocking. And I think, again, that that can come later in terms of gender. Like you said, people suddenly realize, oh, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. You know, that cliche, we, we can't have it all, actually. And we're being told that we can. And that's making life really hard. <laughs> You didn't see, because we haven't got video on, you didn't see the shock on my face then of the, that people ask such crass questions like what school did you go to and how big is your house? I just, I find that so, that it's rude and crass and just why would people, why would people do that? Yeah, right. I think maybe it kind of gave me a bit of an education in, um, you know, what was out there and maybe helped me with my process. Cause I, re- I realized quite quickly that I didn't want this life that was kind of written into the rule books. And I wasn't interested in following a set path and, you know, slogging my guts out in a job I didn't want just for a nice fancy car or a bigger house or whatever. I realized that quite young. And I think maybe my miseducation at the, uh, at the kind of Red Brick Uni I went to, it was at Oxford actually, was quite eye-opening at a really young age and it blew a lot of those cobwebs of of um you know where we don't realize how the odds are stacked against us and yeah those questions were 100% true and I also remember speaking to someone at my Oxford interview who said to me I'm gonna hang my acceptance letter on my um on my hearth I'm gonna put it up there with my Christmas presents to open on Christmas day because I know I'm gonna get in and 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 hilariously he didn't get in and then I met him when I switched to Bristol Uni a few years later but um it was the absolute like audacity of it I was like wowzers like this is a whole new world but yeah a great education (laughs) do you know it reminds me of um I I read the Jo Cox book because she the MP she grew up around the same area I did and she had the same in in her the, the book that her husband wrote she had the same experience and I think it kind of comes down to identity like you don't fit in with these groups when you're not from these backgrounds and you haven't had the same childhood experiences and it makes it really difficult to fit in and it must make it really difficult to learn in that environment as well yeah definitely and um I mean I I remember getting to uni and feeling so proud of where I'd come from and actually you know I came from middle class really decent then secondary school it has since been featured on some less positive um, documentaries actually which was really sad but at the time I went to my secondary school it was amazing and I was so proud to have been there and I'd had the most fantastic support for my teacher so I felt really privileged actually but then yeah realizing there's this whole other vernacular and this whole different level of society that you didn't realize was sort of I mean it sounds really dramatic operating against you um or just operating in a different sphere um so yeah it was it was really really you know yeah it was it was life-changing I suppose and I look at it as a really positive thing I actually ended up getting I, I left Oxford and went off to Bristol and had a fantastic three years there but I have good feelings about Oxford now I actually got married there in my in my college I met my husband there when I was really you know the first person I spoke to actually was my husband um so I feel really um mixed up about it 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 had a lot of positives but yeah elements of it you're right it it was difficult to learn and and I remember doing ab initio Italian which is from scratch Italian being told that that'd be absolutely fine and you know from my state school background where you couldn't do Italian I was like great 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 it's allowed to be you're allowed to start from the beginning and then I got there and realized half the class had spent you know their gap year in Italy or had were half Italian or had some kind of you know amazing insight into the culture that I didn't have and I for the first time ever realized what it was like not to understand in a classroom and to feel completely out of my depth and I started to remember kind of remember how the naughty kids at school behaved and I felt like that too I felt like well I just want to mess around because this is impenetrable to me so yeah totally agree that it does 
affect your ability to learn when everyone else has got that extra leg up. But it's so nice that you've taken such a positive from it, including a husband. (laughs) (laughs) I know that. I reckon that's helped, you know, like if he'd he'd turned out to be a bit of a bad guy, maybe I wouldn't be quite so positive about it. But um, yeah, and I mean, we we managed to, we were planning our wedding and then we'd booked this venue and suddenly we were on holiday in Greece and we were like, you know what, we are actually entitled to get married in our college. Like not many people are and you have to both have gone there, I think, not even just, it can't just be one of you. Um, we were like, should we get married at, at Pembroke? And, and we did it and it was incredible and it was like such a beautiful setting that I think in a way it probably put a lot of the ghosts of some of the more unpleasant sides of that experience for both of us actually. Um, you know, both of us had had different challenges when we were at Oxford and found different things really frustrating. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, this, you know, I, I don't like to go through life always putting a positive spin on things, but I do seem able um, to pick out the kind of the good, even in challenging situations. I think, like Fiona, you know that at the moment I'm in a quarantine hotel um, in Asia. And, um, and actually, you know, even this, I can kind of see some of the positives out of it. I can recognize it's difficult, but I think when you can also look for those glimpses of light those kind of extra things that you've gained from the experience as as we've all had to do in the last 18 months to kind of survive um, I think it can it can fare you well that's got because I do really want to talk to you about toxic positivity but before I get to that look at my nice segue into this I do I want to talk about your podcast (laughs) because one your podcast is amazing it's absolutely brilliant. Everything you talk about on there, I'm like, oh my God, this is so big. Uh, but also too, you've got like, you're, you're in the top seven for podcasts on Apple. And just like, how, why, why, why start a podcast? Well, it was a bit, bit random, really. I, I was working as a coach and I was trying to figure out like a really good marketing strategy and thinking, you know, where do I need to go with this? I don't particularly love video content, although I've got way more, uh, confident with it and kind of comfortable with it since doing the podcast ironically because I've had to do you know video promos and things um but I love talking and in the back of my mind the idea of a podcast seemed like a really nice idea but you know surely there was no point because there's so many podcasts out there and to mention Jen that we were talking about earlier she blew that thought out of the water and really showed me that that was a limiting belief and said actually it's really underused it's there's not that many podcasts when you consider how many youtube channels there are or how many blogs there are it's you know still fairly nascent she got me really excited about it and i thought wow of course i could do that you know there's nothing to stop me and i i don't need to be perfectionist about it which is something that i um you know coach women on but i think i had an element of perfectionism you know well if i can't have a you know massively massively popular podcast what's the point in trying which is completely uh, opposite to the way that I think about uh, many other things and also I, I love talking as you can probably tell <laughs> and I love audio content I would say I love audio content more as a creator even than as a, re- a recipient of it although I, I love both um and I kind of just, it sort of fell into place that podcasting would suit me far better than writing. Even though I think I'm a decent writer, it doesn't light me up to write. It's not something I'd ever get excited about doing. Whereas actually, if I had some time to sit down and record, you know, five podcast episodes, if someone gave me a free day and said, you know, the, your task is to record five podcast episodes and you're going to have peace and quiet and you don't have to think about, you know, anything related to the house or the kids or anything. Oh, that would be a great day for me. I'd genuinely be in my element and I'd be absolutely in flow once I got, you know, half an hour into it. So it just made so much sense on lots of levels. And I find it relatively easy. I don't like to say that because it sounds... um sounds like I'm belittling the work that goes into it but I get in flow and once you're in flow then you know things just don't feel as effortful they feel much more uh they they feel like they've got much more ease to them I can completely get behind that because I I do the same with with writing with writing anything I'm like oh you just do this this and this and it takes about 30 seconds and it's done and and obviously that's because I get in the flow of it and it's like my brain just goes off to a different planet somewhere and I I reappear and something has written itself I haven't written it my body has so I totally absolutely get that that and it's okay to say that it's easy absolutely okay to say that 
I think if you found it difficult. Yeah, because I feel like I'd actually. Oh, this is artillating. I was going to say, I think if you found it difficult, you probably <laughs> wouldn't. You probably wouldn't do it so consistently and show up every week and have so many ideas about it. It'd become a chart, right? Yeah, exactly. And I know that if I was creating blogging content or something like that, or if I was doing a YouTube video every month or something, I don't think I'd have been anywhere near as consistent. I've had to really work. Well, I've been able to work with my strengths on it and, like you said that the, your description of, of flow is, you know, there's a guy and he's, I don't know if you've read the book flow by Mihaly, um, Cheats at Mihai. I think that's I how I pronounce it. I haven't said it for a while. He talks about that and it is almost like an out of body experience. And, and, and it's just something that's kind of happening almost without you knowing it. And obviously like when I'm podcasting, especially as mostly minor solo episodes, I do have notes, um, but my notes are quite minimal. And that's been really freeing for me as well, because I know my rough area that I want to talk about and I've got unlimited, it feels like unlimited ideas actually. And, and I'm, you know, probably something similar for you with writing, but I've got lists upon lists of podcast episodes and then they keep getting bumped because I get new ideas and they kind of get in my head a bit more prominently. Um, and that's been fantastic. I think when I first started, I'm on, I've done, I've done 53 episodes now. I think only 50 have been uh, released. I've got another three to go and then I need to do another uh, batch. But um, when I started out, I think I had like seven ready to go and that felt like so many and how would I ever break this down into more topics and more areas but as time's gone on they just almost write themselves in terms of the topic and the theme and the new angle so I've got I've got two two questions that spin off from this I did warn you when I sent the questions that they will stay the same <laughs> um my first is that's that- fine that you you celebrate every moment of your podcast and I absolutely love this um how important is it to you that you celebrate those those milestones like your 50th episode like you've got 5,000 downloads and where you are in the chart yeah it's it's really interesting actually because I still would say that I sometimes find that you know like challenging I think you know it, it harks back to what we were talking about right at the beginning about those um, female pro the female programming or the corporate programming or the academic programming where we feel a bit like we shouldn't be shouting about ourselves we shouldn't be blowing our own trumpet and I definitely still get elements of that but I'm very good at pushing past it now and you know I, I train other people up to do that as well but I think what we really have to be so mindful of in this life is if we go through and we don't celebrate the little milestones the big milestones the ones in the middle then we end up not creating that bank of self-belief that bank of self-esteem that ability to recognize our own skills and our own journey and I've actually got a wonderful client at the moment I've just left her a voice note today to say actually it was yesterday I'm confused by the time um to say my, my headphone just fell out um to say to her she's doing the most awesome work she's running this fantastic business across two continents and I said to her you must remember these things that you're doing these small big and large things because she's got a history of not recognizing her own awesome um and now that things that she's doing every day to the outside world would be completely jaw-dropping and completely remarkable but we have to keep reminding each other sometimes you know you've got to celebrate those wins and actually it's funny you should say that about always celebrating because um i recorded an episode for my 10,000 downloads and like because i knew I was going to be in quarantine hotel. I recorded it a bit early, but I knew I was getting very, very close. I've actually surpassed 10,000 downloads this week, which unfortunately was the same week that I was celebrating the 50th episode. Um, So now I'm going to be doing (laughs) this week's episode is going to be all about the 10,000 downloads. So, you know, I'm really pushing up my own kind of comfort levels in terms of tooting my own horn. Um, But, you know, I feel like it's good it's a good lesson to people out there who might struggle with that still and you know think oh god I'd sound like such a big head and and, and as I said go back to that self-apology self-deprecation um side of side of things that is, is so easy to come to the fore so easy to bring to the fore so I think I think there's a, like a challenge here for people to do more celebratory content pieces because I think there is a thing of being it being seen to be boastful but actually and you, you got me thinking about this. You are so right in that when we tell ourselves the positive things, it sort of protects us against the anxiety and the negative feelings we have about ourselves. And I, I am totally 
you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily know it but I'm totally an anxious person and so when I I have like those negative thoughts or I'm going oh all my clients are going to leave me and I'm rubbish at what I do I have now have a list of things that I have to go through that is like on oh, this client said this and this client said this and I've had this feedback and it really helps sort of um I guess level out my brain against panic me versus overly confident me that there's nothing in the middle going on there yeah I know yeah I think you're right and I think our brains do absolutely skew negative you know we're in survival mode whether our you know whether that's realistic for our actual situation I mean pandemic excluded um you know we're not in danger most of the time but our brains still think we are um so we're always going to be alert to the negative we're always often going to be if you there's the studies that have shown that if you look at a neutral object a lot of our brains will assume that neutral object might have a negative connotation even if there's nothing to actually suggest a threat so we definitely have that skew that we've got to be mindful of but I agree when we can log and remember and recap and recall those positives those achievements um, it doesn't mean that we won't have anything difficult happen to us or we won't have to you know come up with some challenges that they won't necessarily overcome you know a list of positives won't overcome on their own but it does give you, to use your word, that protection. And I think if it almost does an insurance in terms of, you know, future you having a bad day, losing a client or, um, you know, having a falling out with someone in your family. And if you've got some way of bringing yourself back to earth, reminding yourself that just one issue or one challenge or one lost uh, bit of uh, income doesn't have to have a catastrophic result. And, and that, really is useful when you've got that that sort of evidential backing I kind of say to my clients can you be more pragmatic about that can you be more scientific um and just look at it you know as almost as an outside observer just because this blog post that you wrote bombed it doesn't mean you're a crap writer that's a completely inaccurate (laughs) unscientific way of of going from A to B um you know you've gone from naught to 120 with no gap in the middle and um yeah so I'm I'm all for that I'm, I really do think celebrating our wins is a quick win in itself and and actually <laughs> to get a bit um self-referential when we celebrate our wins that's also something to notice and think actually look go me I, I maybe wouldn't have done this a while back like you were saying you've got that list you've got that almost like a brag sheet that you're returning to that's a really good thing and it shows that you're developing it shows that you're being kind to yourself in a way that maybe 10 years ago, you might not have taken that time to do so. So the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about your podcast that I found interesting is because you said you batch record the episodes and because yeah. it's just you doing it on your own, I guess, actually, no, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's easier to do because that takes a hell of a lot of energy to do that that way. So yeah, I guess my question is, why does batching work for you over finding your inspiration each week and just breaking it down into small parts? Yeah, I, I don't always batch as far ahead as I did in the last couple of months. I mean, this was a bit unusual because I knew I was going to have this crazy time period of an international move and kind of close proximity with three kids and a husband. Um, so I did really prepare. And at one point, I think I was 12 ahead and I was like on top of the world, like go me. Like, I've not been that far ahead before and I doubt I'll be that far ahead again um I've now got only just three and they're kind of winking at me I know that I need to create some more and I've got some some um, ideas ready to go but no batching does work for me and it's a reason that I do love podcasting and I do tend to have at least I would say two ahead at any time but what I also do to your point is I leave myself some wiggle room for if I get some inspiration or if an event happens and I want to talk about it. Um, I haven't done that so many times, but there have been a couple of times where I thought, oh, this has popped up in the news. And actually, I want to incorporate this into uh, my podcast. I did one when um, Sarah Everard was murdered and it felt like a really tough time, actually, to be kind of thinking about positive mindset. It was a really, I don't remember that week, but she mm. died. There was all of the she was killed sorry all of the um Meghan Markle 
press was very negative and it felt like a really tough week to be a woman. So that week I gave myself 100% permission to just bump everything and create a different episode um, that was really meaningful, I think, to me and also I think to hope to my listenership then um but yeah that actually does really work for me I, I agree with you actually though that the solo episodes so solo episodes for me are far easier to batch when I do my interview episodes which I love and I don't do loads of them but they take a lot more planning a lot more effort a lot more scheduling um it's a different ball game whereas like you said all I'm relying on for my solo episodes is my own energy levels and I generally have quite high energy levels um I do try and protect my energy but I also know that I am fortunate to have quite high energy levels and quite strong reserves of energy if I need it and I know that's not the same for everyone I work with some colleagues who have very different energy management situations and you know I I know that I'm fortunate in that area the I kind of I don't know where I was going with this question I did have one in my head and it disappeared out again oh never mind (laughs) it'll come back to me it was about your energy but never mind I do want to talk about um it was a particular episode of your podcast that I really wanted to talk about and get your thoughts into and that was um the toxic positivity and I just kind of want to put this into some context about why I want to talk about this so um yeah. Last last year, I chatted to a woman called Lyndon Campbell, who put together this amazing research paper on how the music industry was categorizing its music for sync licensing, which is basically all the music you hear on films and adverts and on TV and in right. the back of your YouTube videos and all that. And she said that the, in her research, there was this huge slant towards positive music and that there's this huge shift in culture towards us having to be positive at all times and she found that quite dangerous in that when we're excluding like huge chunks of music and exposure to different cultures and to different thinking from our world but also when you think about it if all our music that we are exposed to on a daily basis is just positive what does that, and we're at the same time saying we need to start we need to like publicly share our mental health issues and start thinking positive what does that say to people that like to me it seems like we're saying those negative feelings aren't valid enough for us to to talk to talk about them in a really productive way so it's a really big question yeah and i, I no, no, it's really interesting. And that research sounds fascinating. I'll look that up. Did you say you did an episode or you just chatted to her? Oh, no, I did an episode with her because uh, in my mind, the way I have we... to listen to that. I've missed that one. The way we tag content in general across the internet, I think, needs real consideration. But the way, we, the way in which music is tagged is incredibly important because it has such a monumental effect on us as humans. It'd be like tagging all art as this needs to reflect happy emotions which just isn't true and masks yeah it's 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 quite it's quite scary that and it kind of as soon as you were describing it I don't know why but I do know why um I immediately had an image of Emmett from everything is awesome from the Lego movie you know like that kind of let's just pretend everything's awesome let's just go through it let's push through those negative emotions they don't have a home here you know it's a really interesting uh, storyline as these animated films often are um yeah I, I totally agree it, it sounds scary and especially as a child of the 90s you know like I loved a bit of emo or pre-emo Nirvana or Radiohead and I remember there was a good line in Clueless about that like crybaby music but I loved a bit of crybaby music when I was going through puberty and you know having breakups and doing all that kind of stuff um so I think that you know music needs to reflect the the gamut of human emotions and it's interesting you say that it does make sense to me that you know it it veers positive now and I'm sure like you said there'll be many benefits to that and people will use music as an uplifting tool but I, I think you touched on it when you said it makes it seem like all emotions are not valid I think you said something along those lines and that's something I definitely fight against with clients, with, you know, any um, workshops I run on mental health for organisations, that actually all emotions are valid. And actually, often the negative ones that we see as negative, anger, guilt, 
sadness, they are really great information tools. They show us things about how we're feeling, about what matters, about actions that we need to take. And yeah, they're not very pleasant while they're happening to us. But when we recognize that they're informing us of something, we can act on them, uh, you know, rather than rather than just dismissing them as, you know, not palatable. And I did a lot of my positive psychology coach training with an amazing uh, happiness researcher called Robert Biswas-Vina. But his whole area or one of his whole areas of research is about negative emotions. He's written an amazing book with a guy, a guy called Todd Kashtan called The Upside of Your Dark Side. I think it's got a slightly different name in the UK, actually. Um, but he talks about how important those negative emotions are. And he has a quote, which I can't remember if I quoted it on my podcast, but he talks about our moods and our emotions are a thermometer. So if you don't want to pay attention to it and you just want to pretend you're happy all the time or be happy in inverted commas all the time, it's like you're breaking that tool that you've been given. You're breaking that information channel. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think, again, wherever we can fight against that sense that we should just be papering over the cracks, it's really, really key. And, and I say this as someone who loves the power of positive psychology who recognizes what it's like to kind of see those positivities in the world and and not set up camp in the negative in the pessimistic you know i, I absolutely see those uh, the importance of, of of that but at the same time we need to feel it all i think glennon doyle talks about needing to feel it all we need to recognize that we have to do hard things and that times are difficult especially at the moment and when we fail to recognize that we're setting ourselves up for issues in the future because we're not being true to ourselves or, or the experience that we're having we're kind of belittling our own lived experience so how do we balance that and I'm thinking like specifically online because I don't know if you saw the TikTok um report in I think it was the Wall Street Journal they did a 15 minute video on how the TikTok algorithm works and basically it sends you down rabbit holes into the more extreme and niche video content so if you've how do you balance the positive emotions where is if you, if i don't know you've broken up with someone and then all you see are breakup videos on tiktok and it leads you down this rabbit hole into videos about depression how do you balance that with your yeah with, with your exposure to things online yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm not an expert in algorithms or TikTok particularly. I've actually been on TikTok like twice, but I, I do like an Instagram reel. And interestingly, my Instagram reels are ridiculous. So I think the algorithm knows that I quite enjoy a bit of ridiculous Instagram reel um, content. Um, but yeah, I would say that from when I was doing psychological training, I did quite a lot with teenagers with um, something which is not particularly well known, but it's a uh, a phobia called emetophobia which is a fear of being sick and that is an absolute rabbit hole so people who have this fear um, often just discover that they have it discover that they have this phobia and it's it, it, there's ways and means of, of getting past it although it is a very complex phobia but instead they go into kind of almost a community of emetophobes a bit like anorexia and other eating disorders um, and it becomes very self-fulfilling because they read more about why this phobia is real or feels real or why it's unpleasant and they're constantly building up that belief in their own fear um, and, and I think the content for um, I don't know I haven't <laughs> thankfully been down a rabbit hole on TikTok about emetophobia, but I imagine that there are some. And I can really see that that would be hugely damaging. I think like anything, time away from screens is our savior um, without demonizing screens, but just making sure that we're really conscious about getting our fodder that goes into our brains that we consume from as many different formats as possible so whether that's books whether that's friends whether that's one-to-ones whether that's phone calls whether that's screen time at, at particular times I know that for example I have a really really small personal Instagram and I use it to put my photos of my family because I found it too distracting to put my photos of my family on Facebook it was such a mess and it was so intense to kind of look at I'm very political so it would be just you know like this mix of there's a cute child or a rabbit and there's like something really heartbreaking about child poverty um so you know compartmentalizing and having some safe spaces um that are hopefully not affected by an algorithm even online uh, or affected by a slightly different algorithm but yeah i think 
that awareness piece is really key and the switching off whenever possible doing something that is not dictated to by Silicon Valley and that takes you into nature or takes you into real connection Oh, I'm with you there. I'm absolutely with you. I switched off for a week while camping most because we didn't have Wi-Fi there. And my stress levels and anxiety levels completely disappeared. I was a different person. I was me pre-social media years. So I'm, I'm with you and urge everyone to have, I, I guess they're called digital detoxes now, but yeah, just switch off the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Having those boundaries around it is really, really key. And I saw a really cheesy quite cheesy meme yesterday and it, it was just a picture of a school phone like we you know I don't know quite how old you are Fiona but when I was um, at home I still had a one of those old school ones it's like heavy and you know with a dial yeah. and it said something I can't quite word it but it was something like when um phones were tied to the wall humans were free it was something like oh. that and I just thought wow that's so true like now that our phones can go everywhere as they 100% do and even to the toilet even to you know bedtime and and all of that side of things and I you know it really you have to unfortunately the world that we're in we have to be really conscious about limiting and about boundaries it's not something that's going to happen uh without our input without our effort Oh my goodness! Best thing I ever oh, did. Oh, without Wi-Fi like, being taken away. Wi-Fi <laughs> <laughs> being taken away. But the best thing I ever, yeah. the, the best thing I ever did was get a clock in my room, so I now no longer look at my phone to check the time first thing in the morning, and that has been, I'd, that's been life changing. So now I don't look at my phone in normal times until after the school run. So because I don't need to. What am I? I, I literally cannot do anything while trying to get two kids out of the house. Yeah, that's so true. And actually, I am. 100% guilty of looking at my phone during that you know crucial crazy hour and it is some very occasionally you might find out some piece of information like it's a costume day you weren't expecting or you know oh I need to throw some pound coins at the school gates for whatever um but most of the time it just it creates in you this need to multitask which again I haven't done my episode on it yet but it's ready to be birthed at some point multitasking is awful and we are all shocking at it women included um but yeah you're right it's completely pointless to even look at your phone in that hour except we you know often do but yeah the clock in the room is a good idea <laughs> i might copy you on that <laughs> it's so simple and we totally got off subject because i do really want to know when when it comes to um when you when you're thinking about what podcast episodes you're doing like one on multitasking and by the way I really do think you'll be in my mind half the time when you're doing your podcast episodes are you doing it <laughs> based on intuition or based on feedback from your listeners how do you decide what you want to cover that's a, again a really lovely question and one that I haven't really thought about actually um and I I would say I'm led by listeners to a certain extent, especially like listeners as a collective. So if I notice that a podcast episode has done really well, I had my most popular episode last year was all about imperfection. So I revisited that this year because I felt like, you know, in 25 minutes, I've covered it to a point, but there's more to be said. There's a new slant. I've changed, maybe not changed, but maybe, you know, gotten slightly new idea about um, being an imperfectionist that would be worth sharing. So I definitely look at it on that sort of macro level. I also take really great solace that there is a listenership there from the interactions that I get with my listeners. So I get some lovely emails and reviews and that really does help in terms of buoying me up and, you know, keeping the energy behind the podcast. It's, there's a huge yeah, energy transfer going on there, I'm sure. Um, and then I think the other real muse for podcast episodes is my clients and the things that they tackle the particular challenges they have sometimes I will write an episode for a client and then say to them I, I was going to do this episode but I did a different one this is for you I might even sometimes send it to them early um, because it, it's just a way of kind of giving a bit of extra detail that we don't sometimes have time for in our live coaching sessions so my clients definitely I think are a huge inspiration but on top of this yeah I've got this stack of ideas and it it doesn't feel like it's getting shorter there's so many different ways you can cut the positive psychology sort of canon um and it, and also 
splice that in with real life um, because things happen and things change. And, you know, like there's been all the stuff around mental health with the Olympics because I haven't, because I batch recorded, I haven't kind of touched on that too much, but there's every week something in the news that could spark a new idea or create a new thought process. So yeah, I would say a mixture of intuition and sort of this battery of long-term ideas that I have plus the ability I don't know whether you've done this with your podcast yet but um I was talking to someone else who has a podcast and saying you know you can repeat things because you'll always have a slightly different take on it you'll always have something new to add and also not everyone has binged you know all 50 episodes once you get into the bigger figures we um visiting a particular topic can be just as valuable and it pops it back up to the front of mind for for people that might have heard you talk about it in the past it's absolutely true and i really absolutely love the idea that if you've run out of coaching time with a client you record a podcast episode for them because not only does it help them it helps other people that i think is ingenious (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I I've quite pleased myself for doing that <laughs> but I do one day I would like to have like a private podcast stream for my clients um but at the moment I'm already thinking about launching a second podcast I was saying the autumn but realistically I think it might be the new year um so I think maybe two podcasts <laughs> is going to be enough for me to you know calm down a bit on the podcast production front but what's um, your second yeah. podcast going to be about well, I, what I'm doing is, as well as my work with purpose-led entrepreneurs, I am now working more and more with organizations and going in and helping them retain their female talent by similar tools, like making sure that their female talent are not talking themselves out of promotions, talking themselves out of a job, telling themselves they're crap and they can't balance work with, with family life, where they're feeling like they can't kind of have a voice and stand up and say, no, this, this needs to change. Instead, they just slink off and leave the industry, leave the job and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm doing workshops and coaching and sort of longer term programs with, within organizations. And my second podcast idea will be around that. It will be aimed at those organizations. So it won't be such a consumer facing podcast. It'll be more for the people managers and the HR departments who are looking for that kind of intervention really within their staff within their well-being um, programs within their retention and their kind of female talent management so yeah it will be a lot of the same topics if I'm honest (laughs) Um, but from a really different slant because I'll be talking to I'll be talking to the whose interest you know primarily is going to be actually I want my business to do well and I want to look after my people to make that happen rather than when I do my self-sabotage to success, which is my baby, where it's like, you know, actually, this is about you. <laughs> this is about you and your experience with um, your mindset, your positive psychology um, tools and so on. That sounds amazing. I, I, I can think of a few businesses in my work history that could probably have done with that. <laughs> but yeah, that sounds really Yes, amazing. well, at the moment, I'm yeah, I'm targeting a lot of marketing and advertising companies and in, in talks with um, a lot of the companies that I've worked for um, in my career in advertising. And I have great knowledge of because of um, contacts and, you know, doing work in the creative industries and so on. And yeah, there's, let's just say there's, <laughs> there's work to be done. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so is. Right, uh, I know this question amused you when I sent the questions over, but... I do really like that you don't have any blogs on your website. Um, and I think that's actually really refreshing to see. I, I think it's a positive thing. Was it a conscious decision to not have pages and pages of content on your website? Well, I think, like I said to you when I, I read that and, and emailed you back, it made me laugh because it's a time issue. I made that website quite quickly about two, three years ago, about two and a half years ago, something like that. I was kind of getting the photos done, writing the copy. And it was, it really does need a little bit of an overhaul for you. So I think you're being quite kind about it, but um, yeah, I also did want to keep it simple though. There was a little bit of, um, you know, method to my madness because I listened to Donald Miller's how to build a story brand. 
Mm-hmm. which is a really great book I, I, I'm sure you've read it or heard of it but one of I, and I can't remember loads from it I remember a lot of the stuff about the hero's story or the journey or whatever however he talks about that and that was really interesting but he did a small part on the website and what it needed and I listened to it at exactly the time when I was re- redoing my website and it just made so much sense it basically was stripping it down to the bare bones and he said you know you need to talk about, talk to your client, talk about the journey that they're going on. You need to um, have an about me, which is actually about them. <laughs> um, and, and sort of thread yourself into that. You need some testimonials and you need a way of them contacting you. And I can't remember what the other tab is on my, on my website, but um, some kind of link to how they work with you or what your programs are. And I just really went for that keep it simple approach. It fitted in with my time poverty. <laughs> um and also like you know we said before blogging was never something which appealed to me as a um as a content you know a content producer content production is is really like a secondary thing for me or it always was and I think the podcast has become a love in its own right which is a really nice place to be it now feels like that's not arduous or not work but if I was trying to blog I think I would feel like it was more forced um so I didn't do it <laughs> and do you know what I think more people should follow your lead and I know it sounds weird but as someone who makes a living from writing website content and blogs but I think quite often people do it because they feel they have to do it not because it actually fits in with their business strategy and it makes me really sad to see a lot of first not particularly great quality blogs sitting there but secondly people working themselves up into a stress that they need to do something that actually they don't so it made me really happy I'm like she doesn't even have a blog this this shouldn't make me happy but it does because I That's think the thing, yeah and I've done one I was gonna because I think that is a it's a brave thing to do when common advice across the internet is that you need a blog and it makes me hit my head on the table when people follow that advice. Yeah, it, I know. And for me, like I said, it was, you know, part, partly a practical solution to not having enough time and wanting to get things off the ground. But also I've had some really good mentors, like Jen B1, Jessica Lorimer being another, who kind of point out that, you know what, you don't even need a website. You don't need a website to start doing the work and making the impact in the world. Um, you can do that from a LinkedIn profile. You can do that from outreach. You can do that from a podcast. And it just goes back to that, you know, you can't do all of the things. And if you try and do all the things, you're going to make yourself stressed. You're going to make yourself overwhelmed. And then you're going to be back to square one. And, uh, you know, I've been invited to write guest blogs. I'm about to write another one, actually, um, for Nourish app, which is like a self-care app for mums. And that's that's fun for me because it's rare. It's rare that I do it. But if I had to do that every week or every month, it would not be. It would lose any kind of um, element of fun. So yeah, I really uh, I kind of agree that we we shouldn't feel like we have to go down all these different routes and do all the shiny things. I think wheels, Instagram wheels, is another one. I dabble in them because <laughs> sometimes I feel inspired and I find them fun. But they're pretty useless, I think, in terms of actually drawing my ideal client in and I'm sure that there are many many people out there who just feel they have to do reels and they're kind of plugging away at it maybe it's not bringing them loads of joy maybe it's not bringing them any clients um, and again if we can just give ourselves permission to say no then we can focus on the the parts of our work that work and the parts of our work that light us up I've got loads of anecdotal evidence on reels and idea pins and all the rest of them and I'm sure it'll change over time but I'm I have a big healthy dose of cynicism towards towards it. <laughs> yeah I've had some like random reels that have done really well like I think I put one about a, when it was a snowy day in the Cotswolds or something and it had thousands and thousands of views which for my Instagram reach was amazing because I have really rubbish Instagram reach but what what became of that nothing <laughs> nothing that's it randoms liked it and saw it whatever like I never heard from any of them whereas I'll put out a podcast episode and I'll have you know a couple of really lovely in-depth conversations with people or I'll you know hear that someone would like to talk talk to me about working together and it actually has an impact it has an impact on that person or it has an impact on my business and and that's really really beneficial so I'm all for like pro 
prioritizing my time and energy on my clients first and foremost my podcast which is like my I said my baby or another client um and then everything else is kind of a nice to have on top of that website blog um you know I can kind of operate from a from a fairly lean place <laughs> which is your favorite platform though that's what I know because I, I I know you from LinkedIn but I see you because we're in very similar networking circles so I see you pop up a lot on Instagram as well I think you're my only viewer on Instagram then am I (laughs) (laughs) yeah I feel like no one sees me on Instagram um I I do pop up on Instagram I mean LinkedIn is my favorite um but because of the way that I'm sort of pivoting my business in two different directions not pivoting it you know I'm sort of I'm bifurcating it I'm splitting it into two different directions um I'm trying to now use LinkedIn for my organizational corporate work and Instagram for my self-sabotage to success, podcasts, uh, purpose-led business owner coaching work, just to make it a bit more clear. But there is an overlap because I have been tooting my own horn over on LinkedIn about um, the 50th episode and I will certainly talk about the 10,000 downloads and, and so on. Um, but yeah, I think my favourite is LinkedIn. I enjoy it. I find it really easy to connect with amazing people. I feel like people want to are open to connecting with me there whereas on Instagram to me if I'm honest it's a bit of a dark art I don't quite understand how to use it to its most its best potential it's it's a little bit beyond me I think Instagram is getting so much harder to be seen through than I remember I, I had a, a product-based business like six seven years ago and I was like Instagram's a really crowded marketplace now and seven years later it's just it's I wouldn't really start from scratch I don't think I'd find something new <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah it, I agree yeah and I think if you're willing to maybe you know spend loads of time and effort honing your real craft and and, and finding out ways to target those people but it's not something that I've got um I've not got the interest in it you know going back to that it doesn't fill me with joy um I'm sure you know when things move on with my business and I can get someone else to deal with all of that for me (laughs) then I might suddenly be reborn as a Instagram uh, fanatic but yeah I I have a friend who's got an amazing Instagram following and she even she I would I won't mention names but even she I would say has tired of it and she gets the engagement she gets the I mean she gets all the advertising deals and things and she's had a book written but she's written a book sorry because of it but I I think it's lost its sheen for her because I think it's even for those established people it's getting harder to get the get the results absolutely right oh my goodness thank you so much for your time on this it's been thanks for having me so interesting I'm amazed we got through all the questions actually (laughs) that never happened yeah no I loved the questions they were really they were very pertinent and slightly different questions which I really really enjoyed actually and and obviously from your content you know perspective it's really interesting to kind of dig into this area because as I said I I do the content and I'm on the platforms but I don't pertain to be an an expert on it it's I can still learn so much from from your podcast and someone like you with the expertise so yeah it's great I just like I just don't want to see everyone do everything the same because one it's really boring to see and two our businesses aren't the same. We aren't the same. And I just want to see people be a bit more creative with what they do. And I've got a real beam up on it about like one person saying something and the internet just nods and follows it. I just think, no, yeah. don't do that. Yeah. yeah. We don't need that these days. We have to be okay with, with being a little bit out of the crowd, I think, and, and being that person that sticks their neck out. And yeah. Oh my good. goodness. I don't think I've ever been in the crowd to be out of the crowd. <laughs> I, th- yeah, and I, think- I know I was thinking that I was thinking that this week because I'm obviously going into like this new world and I'm going to be involved in an international school and um <laughs> just giving myself a bit of a talking to don't be too outspoken too quickly <laughs> just like let the whole family settle in first before you uh, make it clear that you've got quite big views on everything oh my goodness just be yourself you'll find the normal people that are your tribe eventually exactly when, exactly when I, and as I said when I moved to Worcester on. one of the school mums from our last school she turned and said to me she was like oh, I'm really sorry Fiona you're gonna to have to pretend to be normal again for a little bit aren't you I'm like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. 
Just for a little bit, when they all get used to me. Just for a little bit, just to just to lower people in, and then you can just reveal little parts of yourself. Actually, um, Jessica Lorimer, who I'm in a coaching group with, she says, you know, actually, don't waste time not being yourself because they're going to realise who you are. <laughs> so if you're like a kind of jokey, informal person, when you're talking to a potential client or an organisation, you know what, just be yourself because they're going to meet that person soon enough and it's just exhausting to pretend you're anyone else so yeah I love that that's so true and also the people who buy from you are the people who get it the people who are like you and you know have that same mindset as you so pretending to be someone else is just it that in your words it'd be self-sabotaging really wouldn't it 100% yeah it's really it's really self-sabotaging it's a complete energy drain and it's not going to lead to you doing your best work. That's, again, one of the things I talk to organizations about. You know, if you make people go into boxes and you don't allow them to push past their own self-sabotage or step into their own voice and be authentic, you're going to end up with a rubbish bottom line because people are just not going to do the, the right amount of uh, productive, creative, fun, engaging work if they are pretending to be someone they're not. Exactly. Awesome. Right. Thank you. I've, I've taken up way too much of your time than I intended to. And I really do hope the move goes well and you finish quarantine and have a big, massive cocktail on the beach. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm visualising it and it will happen. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Fiona. It's been brilliant. Oh, no way. Thank you for your time today, Lucy. Enjoy the rest of quarantine if you can. And yeah, hope it all goes well just want to extend a huge thanks to Lucy for sharing her time with me especially when she was in quarantine if you want to find out more about Lucy's work do go and check out the podcast show notes where you can find out her podcast link her website and Instagram profile links as well as always you can sign up to the Brew Time newsletter and I send out helpful tips each week to put these podcast episodes into action in your business they usually come with something that I call actually useful podcast show notes where you're given an activity to do each week. There isn't one with this episode because it's been so packed full that I didn't even know where to begin with it. Um, But normally that does come out with them. But I'll see you next week where I'll be talking about how long you should be spending on your content. Bye.